we're nearing the preseason. Is there anything the Jets could do to stabilize their tackle position? We'll discuss today on Locked On Jets. You are Locked On Jets, your daily New York Jets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome. This is the Locked On Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It's Wednesday, August 2nd, 2023, and I'm your host, John B. from gangreennation.com. Thank you so much for making the show your first listen or first watch every day. Subscribe to the show for free on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts so that you'll get new episodes as soon as they're posted. If you're listening on a podcast source and enjoy the show, please give it a five-star review. If you're watching on YouTube, give this episode a big thumbs up. Helps us out, helps other Jets fans find the podcast. Today's episode of Locked On Jets is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, official sportsbook of the NFL. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On today to get started. Well, today we have our weekly mailbag show one day away from the opening of the preseason. Jets and Browns will play tomorrow night in Canton, Ohio. But today we're talking Jets mailbag. Thanks to everybody who sent in questions. Each week we try and do a mailbag with listener questions. And our first question what do you think are feasible moves the Jets could make to improve the tackle situation at this moment? Is anybody available for trade, or do we just have to hope that either a camp cut works itself out and we can get the get an upgrade, or maybe we can wait till the trade trading deadline to try and find somebody off a team that's losing? Well, I think this time of year, it's always difficult to address the tackle position because tackles are in such high demand in the NFL that good ones typically do not get away. Good good tackles typically do not hit the open market because any team that's got a good tackle is going to want to keep them. This is not a situation where you have like maybe a running back who's talented can slip through the cracks for a team because they're, they have so much talent in the backfield. Nobody's got like four good tackles. So teams are very hesitant to let tackles leave. In fact, if you've got three good tackles, you're in great shape. And most teams, you know, a lot of teams don't even have two good tackles. So it's a really tough spot to be in if you're in need of a tackle, really at any point, but especially this time of year. Because if you're parting with a tackle in August, you don't really have the means to replace him until the offseason. So it's, it's one thing for like in March, because even in March, and it's very unlikely to find a good tackle hit the open market. But like at the beginning of free agency, there's at least a pathway where you could say, OK, even if this guy leaves us, even if we trade this guy, we can find a good replacement because you got the whole offseason, you got free agency, you got the draft. It's reasonable at the at the beginning of the new league year, where when free agency begins, to say, all right, even if you know we even if we're letting a good tackle go, we can replace him. At this time of year, you let a guy go, you're not replacing him. Maybe you're getting a draft pick, but and that can help you down the line. But it's not going to help you this year. And that, for that reason, it's very rare to see a quality player, especially at the tackle position, hit the open market in August. Does it happen? Could it happen? Yeah. I mean, I'm not aware of any tackle, any top-notch tackles who are about to hit free agency. Of course, a couple of years back in the summer, Laramie Tunsil got traded from the Dolphins to the Texans. So it can happen if there is a player who has a contract dispute. Maybe it, you know, anything's possible. And it's also possible, although it's not something I'd ever want to count on, but sometimes this time of year, there's a surprise cut where some player who's maybe not happy with his contract or not meshing with his coaching staff now, this was not the tackle position, but I, th- I think you could go back to 2004 with the Jets where they kind of had a question mark at guard and Pete Kendall uh, shook free a veteran tackle. He was with Arizona at the time and the Cardinals cut him. And 
Jets were able to sign Kendall to play left guard for them, and he ended up really stabilizing their offensive line in a season in 2004 where the Jets made the playoffs. So it's it's possible. It's not a, this, it's not the thing you'd want to depend on at this point in time. I think if we're talking about actual options for the Jets, probably the place you'd go would be moving Elijah Vera Tucker out from guard to tackle because not everybody's capable of playing tackle. Not everybody has the requisite athletic skills. You have to remember that if you're playing tackle, there is nobody helping you on your outside. If you're playing guard, you got one guy to your right, one guy to your left. You got a center next to you and you got a tackle next to you. When you're playing tackle, yeah, you have a guard next to you, but you also have the edge. You're kind of protecting the edge, which means edge rushers can get out really wide. So you need the athletic ability to get out and meet them when they're when they're lined up out wide. I think Vera Tucker actually has that. I think the question with Vera Tucker has always been his arm length because you want a guy at tackle typically who has really long arms because you don't want to have to lean to make initial contact. You want somebody who's got long arms who can just kind of reach out and touch the and touch the guy and still maintain a solid base under him. And the question with Vera Tucker when he came out, and the reason a lot of people thought he was he'd be a better guard prospect than a tackle prospect, including myself, is that he just doesn't really have the prototypical arm length for a tackle. Now he did hold up pretty well there last year. So it's a question of is he the type of guy where he could play tackle full time and the arms just aren't an issue, or is it a situation more like he may you may be able to get away with him for a couple of games there, but in the long run, the lack of arm strength is going to be an issue, and that that's that um, lack of arm length is going to be an issue, and that's not really clear right now. I think the fact that Jets are trying to move Vera Tucker back to guard suggests that they're only going to do they're only going to put Vera Tucker out at tackle in case of an emergency like they did last year. I mean, last year they had to suffer like four different injuries before they moved AVT out to tackle. But you're getting to a spot where, you know, if Dwayne Brown's status is unclear and we don't know what's happening with Becton, you're getting close to a point where this is going to have to be a consideration for this team. And it's tough because you are weakening a guard spot. Elijah Vera Tucker is a very good guard. And if you're moving him to tackle, tackle might be a more important position. There aren't as many tackles in this league as there are guards, but you you do have to acknowledge you're weakening. You're probably weakening yourself at right guard because the guy who replaces AVT at right guard is not going to be as good. But I think if we're talking about actual possibilities here, I mean, that's up there. The only other thing would be either Becton, which is possible going out and playing well and showing he's recovered or maybe Max Mitchell developing over the course of the offseason. I mean, I think those are really your possibilities. Those are, that's really where you have the chance, but it's not a great spot to be in. It's where we are, though. So Jets are going to have to figure out this tackle position. Our next question, we're going to stay on the tackle position. What's going on with Makai Becton? Turner has been getting the first team reps over him at left tackle. Do you think that's what the coaching staff wants to do? Is it the plan B? Is it about easing Becton back in? Well, the Jets coaching staff has been clear that they're trying to ease Becton back in because he's obviously coming off two straight seasons where he's barely played and is coming off two serious knee injuries. So I think keeping him on a pitch count makes sense. I am not entirely sure I can answer the question completely because the Jets have kind of been vague about what their plans are. I, I would have to guess reading between the lines, though. It just seems like something is off with Becton. It seems like something's been off with Becton and this coaching staff the entire time they've been together. You know, you've heard the comments from Becton. You saw last year they did not even give him a chance to win the left tackle job, which I i mean, I know George Fant played well in 2021, but I don't think George Fant alone playing well for one season is enough to get you to move a guy you drafted to be your left tackle over to the right side. I, I just don't, th- I think there was more to that story. And 
here's the thing that really sticks out for me is that, as you mentioned, the reports are that Billy Turner's playing left tackle and Dwayne Brown's absence with the first and working with the second team. And I guess the question I would have is even if you're on a pitch count, if you're the starter, wouldn't it make more sense to get the first team reps with the offensive line? And, and then you go out when you need to go out and then you, you have whoever the backup is tag in. I mean, I don't think you're putting any more stress on the knee by playing him against the first teamers versus the second teamer. So while I cannot answer this question, it just feels to me like there's something going on. You know, it feels to me like there's a disconnect between the, and I could run this. I mean, this is just me kind of trying to read between the lines here. So sometimes, you know, sometimes there's stuff that's public. Sometimes there's not, but it just feels to me like something is off in this, in this dynamic between the coaching staff and Becton and maybe Becton playing on the, uh, on the second unit in, in training camp while Dwayne Brown is out, that might be meaningful. You know, maybe it's not, but I, I get the feeling that there's just enough here, even though nobody's explicitly saying it, there's just, uh, it, it, something seems off. Now, head you're on the Locked On Jets podcast, we'll talk about another young offensive lineman, Joe Tipman. What's his status? What should we think about it? We'll discuss more ahead here on this Mailbag Wednesday edition of the Locked On Jets podcast. Today's episode of Locked On Jets is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook. Take your first swing at MLB on FanDuel and get 10 times your first bet amount in bonus bets. That's up to $200. So that means if you just bet $20, you'll land $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. It's a pretty good deal, right? $200 you can spend betting everything from the money line to the over-under to who you think is going to hit the first home run. And if you're a local baseball fan, I'm assuming you're not going to bet on the Mets or the Yankees. Really bad year for both of them. Very dissatisfied Yankee fan you got here. I'm sure a lot of you Mets fans are also very dissatisfied. But the good news is that FanDuel is an app that's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Plus, when you win, you can get paid instantly. So while you're waiting for the Jets season to start, Jets seem like they're kind of the bright light in our lives as sports fans. You should know that there's no better place to bet on Major League Baseball than FanDuel, America's number one sports book. So sign up today and visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to get up to $200 in bonus bets. That's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. FanDuel, official partner of Major League Baseball. Thank you so much for making Locked On Jets your first listener, first watch every day. And a big shout out to you every day, as folks who tune into the podcast on a daily basis from Monday to Friday. Appreciate you so much. Let's continue with our weekly mailbag. Are we overreacting to Joe Tipman's placement in the first depth chart? Hey, speak for yourself. There's no we in that. I, I'm not overreacting at all to Joe Tipman's placement in the first depth chart. So if you follow these things, at the beginning of the preseason, the Jets put out a depth chart. and It's quote unquote unofficial. It's, I'll tell you, so let me let you in on a little secret. This is true of the Jets. It's true of like the other 31 teams. It's really unofficial. And the reason for that is a lot of coaches don't care about this stuff. So they just, they just give it to the team's PR staff to fill out. And that's those are the people that deal with the media. So the PR staff for a lot of these teams, and I know the Jets did this under Todd Bowles. Like Bowles even said the PR staff filled out our depth chart. I'm not sure whether Salah does it, but it's a very unofficial depth chart. So I would never, I would never react to anything that's on that depth chart. So are we overreacting? Well, we includes me. And the answer to that is no. Are you overreacting out there? Well, I don't know. But as far as Tipman goes, I think the question mark is he reportedly has been getting some third team reps in training camp. And there was a little bit of buzz this week. And it was kind of based on what comments Robert Sala had that Tipman's not really in the mix to start at center. Now, that to me means something. And I think that the problem with something like this is that when you hear news like this, that the rookie maybe not in the mix to compete for the starting job, people have one of two reactions, either, well, he's a rookie. It'll take a while. No big deal. This is nothing to see here. 
or oh my goodness, this guy is not. Oh my goodness, this guy is not going to start uh, year one. He's a total bust. Now, I would lean more towards the side of the people who say no big deal because Tipman's a rookie. And quite frankly, like looking at his footage out of Wisconsin, I wasn't convinced this was a guy who was ready to contribute day one. I think that there are some technique issues. A big guy, he's got to kind of work on hand placement. Bigger guys, you know, they kind of have a tendency to lean a little bit when they're blocking. You got to maintain a solid center of balance. Leaning's got to be out. Um, I think, though, it was a reasonable expectation that he'd at least be in the mix. He'd be competing for the job on day one, because I, I've said this, I said this over the course of the off season folks, every day or who listen to this show consistently. know I believe this. I think the jets wanted to start. So if he's not even in the mix, if you know, if he's getting the third team reps in training camp, it's not that he's a bust. It's not that, you know, his career is close to over, but it's a little troubling. I think it's fair to say. I mean, I think you got to find somewhere between these two extremes. Again, I'm I'm much more closer to the side of it's not that big of a deal, but it does mean something. And I've heard that I think the Jets are trying to flip this idea. Well, we weren't going to play a rookie center with Aaron Rodgers, which really does not make a whole lot of sense to me. If the rookie center is the better center, you want to put him in the lineup. And also with a quarterback like Aaron Rodgers, you know, a guy who just is the master at the pre-snap stuff. That's actually a situation where a young, less experienced center makes more sense than it would with like a Zach Wilson, because the center and quarterback kind of work together pre-snap to make sure the team's in the right blocking assignment. So if you have a younger quarterback, a Zach Wilson, more of that burden is going to be on the center. So you may want a more veteran guy like Connor McGovern, where Aaron Rodgers, who knows exactly what he's doing, who's going to get you in the right protection no matter what, you can you, you can go with the younger guy because he's not, there's not as much on him. So. I think the Jets are kind of trying to float. It seems like the Jets are kind of trying to float this idea. Well, we weren't going to play rookie center with Aaron Rodgers anyway. And I don't know that I buy that. I think that it's not, it's not everything. It's not necessarily a huge deal, but I, I, I think it is a little bit of a concern that Tipman's if it, if, and it, this is an if, but kind of reading between the lines here again, looking at where the snaps are being allocated, uh, Who's on, and we'll, we'll find out more tomorrow night. We'll find out more over the course of the preseason, really, where Tipman is. That'll be our first look. So I don't want to like sound the alarm here. I want to, I, I think you have to strike a balance here. I'm not panicked over Tipman, but it's a little concerning, I think, where, where he is right now. Next question Is the fumble stiff arm touchdown sequence that cost the Pats the week 15 game against the Raiders more embarrassing than the butt fumble? I would say yes, especially when you consider the following one, the game was tied with three seconds left, and the play that led to the, the disaster was completely unnecessary. Two, Mac Jones is a dirty player, so see, watching him get crushed is always fun. Three, Chandler Jones, a former Patriot, is responsible for the entire sequence. So if you're not sure what, what the question's about, you can go back and just, I guess you could probably type into YouTube, last play Patriots Raiders, a crazy play that ended the game uh, between New England and Vegas last year in Las Vegas, where the game was tied. The game was going to overtime, and uh, I think it was Ramondre Stevenson, the Patriots running back, you know, broke a pretty big run, and then tried a ridiculous lateral like across the field that Oakland, or not, not Oakland, Las Vegas's Chandler Jones intercepted. And it wasn't an interception because he caught a lateral, but essentially he grabbed it and then he ran over Mac Jones on the way for a touchdown. So that instead of going to overtime, the Raiders won the game on the last play on a crazy lateral attempt. Listen, you're asking the wrong guy about the butt fumble. I think that that's the most overplayed thing I've ever seen. Like, yeah, fine. It was, you know, it was a bad play. Did we need to see it for, you know, 52 straight weeks on sports center is the, the bottom play. No. Is it like the all time blunder? I mean, come on. We see bad plays all the time. It was a, it was a, it was an awful play by Sanchez. It was an awful game by the jets. 
people have got to move on though a little bit. I mean, I, I was I was actually at that game. I was at that game. It was Thanksgiving night, twenty twelve. I was there with my brother, and I remember my. It was a horrible game. The Jets were already the Jets were blown out by halftime. But geez, I mean, does that play really? Did the Buff Fumble really deserve to live on in the infamy it's gotten? I would say no. And more to the point, the Buff Fumble didn't matter. The Jets were terrible that year anyway. It didn't cost them anything. As you mentioned, asking the question. The play that the Patriots lost on, first of all, cost them a critical game when they were in the playoff race. And it was, again, that was just a, I mean, it was a, it was an error by Sanchez because I think he forgot the play call on the butt fumble and then he kind of ran, you know, he kind of ran aimlessly, but it wasn't like he, he made a play where he's trying this ridiculously risky lateral with zero upside across the field when all you have to do is go down and go to overtime and he cost you. I think I agree with you. I think the New England play was way worse than, than the Sanchez play. So let's. You know, let's see Sports Center run that one for 50, 52 straight weeks. You know, it only cost the New England Patriots a huge game when they were in the playoff race. But you know, heaven forbid we run that we run that fifty two straight weeks. Now, head here on the Locked On Jets podcast, we'll close out our weekly mailbag show. We're talking about this team's expectations with Aaron Rodgers. What needs to happen for this trade to be, go down as a, as a success? That's as we continue this Wednesday edition Locked On Jets mailbag. This is the Locked On Jets podcast here on this Wednesday. We're doing our weekly mailbag show. Our next question, what do the Jets need to accomplish in order for you to consider the Aaron Rodgers trade a success? Well, I, I think the expectations have to be pretty high here because what they gave up and how long you're expecting Aaron Rodgers to be here. I mean, if Aaron Rodgers is here, two, I mean, people try to sell the idea that Aaron Rodgers is going to be here two years. So the fact that like even the most sunny optimistic scenario still only leaves him two years and he gave up two early draft picks for him. I think the expectations have to be really high. I mean, I've heard people say, well, I just want to watch enjoyable football. Well, I don't think you needed to trade Aaron for, trade for Aaron Rodgers to get enjoyable football. I mean, the first, what the first three months of last season, the jets played enjoyable football before they collapsed in December and January. You know, people say they want to end the playoff drought. Again, I, I think that this defense is pretty good. I mean, I think they would have a shot to end the playoff drought without trading for Aaron Rodgers, And they gave up a lot. They added for a 39 when you're giving up a first round pick and a second round pick for a 39 year old quarterback. I, I don't know how you could say anything else than you're all in. Jets are pushing a lot of cap space to the future. They're pushing a lot of cap hits to the future. You know, they're reducing their financial flexibility. They're going to be short on draft picks. It's tough for me to look at this and say expectations should not be really high because, you know, the years after that, the Jets have created obstacles for themselves trying to maximize this year and next year. Now, do they have to win? I would say they have to win a Super Bowl. I mean, I'm, look, I'm sorry. I'm tired of waiting for a Super Bowl. It's, we went out and got this Hall of Fame quarterback, and you're going to tell me my expectation shouldn't be a Super Bowl? I'm sorry. You, you ought to get Aaron Rodgers to win a Super Bowl. You don't get Aaron Rodgers to you know go 10-7 and seven and make the wild card round. So for me, it's it, expectations are sky high. Now, look, we can debate this. I mean, if you want to say making the Super Bowl is enough, you know, that's I think that's a reasonable expectation. We can disagree on that. If you want to say, you know, a playoff run and, you know, they lose a hard fought game in the AFC championship game. We can debate it. You know, I, I can see where you're coming from, but, but I, I don't think like 10 and seven this year, nine and eight next year, making the wild card is going to be enough. I think that the jets traded for this guy because they want big things. If you didn't want big things, you could have gotten another quarterback. If you wanted to just make the playoffs, you just wanted to have a decent season. Plenty of other guys you, you could have gone to get. So that's my view on this. I think that expectations, whether you want to say win the Super Bowl, whether you want to say get to the Super Bowl, I think the expectations have to be really, really high here with this team. 
Our next question, how do players get paid during training camp? Do they receive a per diem? Do they receive any salary at all? What about undrafted players? You mentioned Brownlee signed with a bonus. Does that get paid up front? Is it prorated? How do players get paid? So my understanding of this is the players do get a per diem in training camp. Um, it, now, as far as how do players get paid, it depends on the structure of their contract. So every player, they get, they get what's known as base salary, and that's paid over the course of the season. There's one that's, you, hear, you hear about a game check. It's essentially a player get, gets, a, gets a paycheck after every game. And I think they actually pay players during the bye week too. So their, their base salary is paid in season. It's paid each in season in 18 installments, one after each week, after each game. And then you also get one during your bye week. Aside from that, you can negotiate bonuses into the contract. So signing bonus, which is kind of what it sounds like. You get a bonus payment for signing with your team. And usually that's paid, you know, within the first couple of weeks of you signing it. But that's also something that's up for negotiation. One of the things you negotiate in the contract is when do you get the signing bonus payment? And there's also what's known as a roster bonus, which again, kind of what it sounds like. Um, you get paid if you're on the roster at a certain date. And typically you get paid. So if there's like a, if I have a roster bonus that if I'm on the roster March 5th, I get this bonus, usually you get paid it pretty quickly. And again, part of it's negotiate. I think, I believe the schedule of the payments, the time where you're actually paid these bonuses is, uh, is negotiated as part of the contract. But that's why it's such a big deal. You know, you may hear about veteran players. If they're on the week one roster, their, their contract becomes guaranteed for the full season. The reason that's a big deal is that if your contract's guaranteed for the full season, the team has to pay you 18 game checks, whether or not you're on the team for the rest of the year. So you're on the roster week one and you're a veteran and you get your, you get your salary guaranteed. You could get cut after week one and you still get 18, you can still get 18 game checks. Whereas if you're not on the roster week one, you can negotiate, the team can negotiate it so your salary is not guaranteed. And if that happens and you get cut, you know, you're kind of out of luck. I think there might be like some severance. I think it might be like a week or two of severance you get as a veteran player, but you don't get paid for the full season. And that's why sometimes you'll, what you'll see is a team hold off on signing a veteran until week two, because if the veteran's on the roster week one, they got to pay him for the full season. Whereas if you wait that first week, if you feel like maybe we can get by with without this guy that first week, you wait till the second week, then you you got you a little bit more flexibility because you can cut him without needing to pay him. But essentially, the base salary, what you hear about base salary in a contract structure, that's paid through the course of the season. And you know that shows you you got to manage your money well because you're only getting paid 18 weeks of the year. So you got you, that money's got to tide you over the rest of the year. So you got to be a little smart with how you budget, unless you're getting like an extra bonus payment. But that's how it, that's how it is. The base salary is most of the salary it gets paid to you over the course of the season. Not before then, but I do think I do believe players get like a per diem in training camp of the, this this amount of dollars per day to take care of expenses, things like that. Especially the teams that go away for training camp. Um, so that's that's what that's essentially I think a basic breakdown. I'm sure it's more complex than that, but gives you should give you a good summary. Anyway, that's all for today's episode. This has been the Locked On Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day is our motto. As always, if you enjoyed the show, hit the subscribe button where you're watching or listening so that you'll never miss an episode. If you're listening on a podcast source, give the show a five-star review. And if you're watching on YouTube, give this episode a big thumbs up. It helps us out. helps other Jets fans find the show. Have a great Wednesday, everybody. We'll be back tomorrow to talk about the preseason opener, Jets-Browns, Thursday night in Canton.